and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and today we're welcoming Josh Goldberg. Josh is an open source maintainer, speaker, um, an author working on ESLint, covering ESLint stuff. He's here to talk about his latest speaking engagement, setting up ESLint and TypeScript for React. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you very much. I should note, I don't work on ESLint itself. That is a separate team from me, nor do I work on TypeScript. I work on the tooling that lets you run ESLint and Prettier and similar tools on TypeScript. Yeah, it covers the general linting and tools that make your code better and easier to read and maintain space. It's all good. Yeah. Give us a little bit more about your background and what you work on specifically. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me slash back. Very excited to be here. Always fun. I started off as a more common software developer and that I worked on applications, a lot of front-end stuff. I actually learned C++ more in college and then fell in love with JavaScript and the web. So I worked at Microsoft and Office before that Dynamics, which is their business stuff. Then I switched over to Codecademy because I really like rich, dynamic computer-y applications and really wanted to work in ed tech. But each time I moved jobs or roles, I gravitated towards developer tooling more and more to the point where I just really wanted to work in open source shared stuff, things that help people write code faster, better with fewer bugs. So that's where I am now. I work on stuff that I think is really useful for as many developers as possible in the TypeScript space. Sometimes I contribute to TypeScript ESLint or other tools. Most of the time I work on TypeScript ESLint. I want to talk about TypeScript ESLint, but I feel like we should go on a little bit more of a journey to get there to contextualize that a bit. So originally we have that you titled your talk, Don't Fear the Linter. Why do you think devs fear the winter? (laughs) I honestly wish I had gone with that as the title. I had this epiphany in the shower. Oh, what a good title. We listened to like Blue Oyster Cult and was like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. I've been going on like a binge of old like SNL sketches. Not that's the most important application. More cowbell. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. For starters, people are scared of anything that's telling them they're wrong. And a little red or yellow squiggly line in your editor is a scary thing to a lot of people, especially newer folks to the industry, folks who don't have years of experience kind of building up that resilience in them. If you're talking to someone who's just started coding, they don't really understand how, let's say, React works on the inside, and they're trying to write React, and then they get a squiggly saying, you did this core React thing wrong. That's not a pleasant experience out of the box. Now, the right attitude for many people is to look at it as a learning opportunity and to explore, and not everyone does that, unfortunately. I'll also say that ESLint and other linters historically haven't always done a good job of phrasing the suggestions. They will say things like, you're doing this wrong, and then they won't explain what the better way is. They won't provide a fixer or links to docs. And I think we've gotten a lot better at that as a community, as an industry over the last, say, five, 10 years. Yeah, I think so as well. I feel anymore when I'm spinning up a new project and it ends up with that when I don't have a linter right away. It's like I'm trying something totally new and I'm running some more recent version of like Node or TypeScript or something. And like I try to get the linter going and something fails and I'm just like, hey, I've got other stuff to worry about right now. Do you think we're getting better on that front or do you think there's a lot of projects that still kick off and it's just kind of like a linter is another thing on a long checklist of items and people are like trying to get V1 out the door and just like, well, whatever, I don't need that right now. Oh, yeah. Those are both very pressing concerns, right? Even if the linter does a perfect job of coaching the 
questions or complaints it's making in very nice, good ways that show docs. Sometimes you just don't have the time to learn these things. So I think one really key innovation-ish in the space has been just not enabling rules that are obtuse or overly opinionated by default. So that instead of being just another checklist annoying thing, the linter is actually providing value out of the box and helping you write your code faster, better with fewer bugs, which is the goal, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about formatters, how those relate to linters and help us get code out quicker? So this is still an open, contentious area in the industry. Not everyone agrees with me. In fact, not everyone who is notable and important and very well-respected and learned agrees with me Mm. on this one. But I strongly believe that a formatter and a linter are two separate tools that should be used separately and differently. A formatter, in my belief, is a tool that just formats code. The big draw of it, the big marketing push that I think is most effective is telling people that it does the formatting for you so you don't have to manually press the tab or space or whatever keys all over the place. That's great. That saves you time, helps you just write code. And also an interesting behavior I've seen is that a lot of people will use the format on save option in editors to know whether they've gotten their syntax right. So that if the file doesn't reformat itself when you hit save, oh no, you know you're missing a squiggly or something. Mash that control S button and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's also the philosophical argument that a formatter establishes a very opinionated, often formatting style for your project. So you don't have to reconfigure your brain the way that you think about things file to file. Mm -hmm. I think that's true and valid and good, but not as effective as a convincing people to use it piece than the other parts, which is unfortunate because I think it's really important. Yeah. Is anything driving your stronger opinion that they should be kept separate other than that just conceptually they're doing different things? Because it does feel like there's a lot of places where the linter is going to give me some error here, but the formatter could fix this automatically. So like those should or shouldn't be squiggly line underlines because they're going to autocorrect anyway. Ideally, king for a day, like how would that interplay work and what would the dev experience look like? That's a really good question and a hard one to answer. From a structural perspective, a linter is most often implemented in today's world as a tool that runs a set of individual discrete rules. Each of those rules flags for one code smell or something in particular, and will flag or report on any violation. That's what causes the little squiggly. And each of those reports may contain some auto fixes or suggestions for how to fix your code. Now, in theory, you could use a linter as a formatter, and there are some notable projects that do that. And that somewhat works. It's fine. A lot of people are satisfied with this. The problem is twofold. One, that's not what a linter oftentimes is built for. A linter allows for running individual rules, which then causes a bunch of reruns, which makes it much slower because rules will fix for specific things and you end up running the linter over and over again in fixed mode to fix for formatting. Mm -hmm. So it's worse at it. It is much worse at formatting than a formatter. Second, theologically, how do you set up a linter for formatting? There's so many different concerns, like tabs versus spaces, indent level, putting things on the same line versus next line, configuring the maximum length of a line. You can use a linter for that, but there are these edge cases that the linter will never be very good at fixing. And in TypeScript PS Lintland, we've completely given up on accounting for these edge cases in many of our formatting rules because it's just this never-ending anger from people of saying, you know, in this 300-line file, this little edge case comes up and we just don't have the budget. It's not worth our time to investigate these things. And if someone wants to go in and fix them for us, that would be great, but no one has stepped up yet. Do you think that It'll eventually be the norm where when devs go and are starting a new project or adding formatting and linting to their project that they're pulling some kind of 
configuration off the shelf or out of a package or somewhere, something where it's like the find for them. And it's like, okay, this, this is the domain that's handled by the formatter. This is what's handled by the linter. They are all configured to do their things. Or do you think that'll always be like the devs will kind of bring their own and, and make it work however they need to per project? I think the norm that we're moving towards is both of those, where we'll have pre-set up templates that do things for us. And we're already seeing languages like Go and Dino, or rather languages and frameworks, Go slash Dino, set that up for people, or projects like XO that set it up for you. No one really wants to have to configure these things, but then you do need to be able to configure them, especially with ESLint, which is, despite being a decade old, still getting more and more powerful and more and more used each year. We want people to be spending time on things that are valuable for them. So in TypeScript ESLint land, it's more that we're trying to set up the TypeScript configuration stuff for you and then writing powerful rules. So if you want to configure them, can tailor them to your use case. How much customization are most devs and teams doing to the default rule sets for ESLint? Are there people like spinning up a lot of bespoke stuff or are most people reaching for best practice and then just making slight tweaks here and there? It's all over the place. I see some teams that don't configure anything other than the recommended rules that sit for five years untouched. And then you have a bajillion ESLint disable comments in files. And then you have teams where someone in my past that has oftentimes been me is really passionate and has the time. And then you have these really nicely bespoke created configs, but it's all over the place. There's no one trend I can spot. What do you recommend to teams that are kind of going through this journey or even devs that have been there before kind of going through it on a new project and like trying to keep that healthy when you're looking at a project and working on one? How do you think about linter rules? I think as a quick answer, use the recommended configs for all of the things that are relevant to you. If you're, say, working on a Next.js app, enable the TypeScript, the React, the Next.js rules, and so on, the core ESLint recommended ones. Disable any rule that isn't good or relevant for you in your ESLint config with a comment explaining why. If the reason you'd have to disable it is just it has too many complaints, file a to-do item to investigate whether you want to re-enable it. Keep those nicely grouped and explained in your ESLint config and go on from there. I think you don't want dev tooling ever to be obscure and confusing. You want it to be approachable and, oh, I'm a new team member. I can read up on why people did things the way they did. And that's true for ESLint or any tool that you're going to use. When do you think it is justifiable to go disable one of those default rules? I know it's always hard to like concrete examples, but generally what's the pattern where it's okay, I could probably disable this rule globally and add a comment. Like when is that usually happening? Yeah, rules are inherently opinionated and single purpose. And sometimes the purpose just doesn't make sense for you. I'm in the background peeking at some of my projects. So let's say that you enable the ESN rule, no inner declarations, which is one that flags function declarations inside other functions. There are stylistic reasons why that might be a bad thing, but honestly, in a lot of code bases, that's not super useful. So if you enable it on your code base and you see a lot of failures and you disagree with the red or yellow squiggly, that's a really good sign that if you disagree, you just don't use the rule. It's not for you. Hey, just taking a quick pause here to read an ad for LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. You can try it for free at LogRocket.com. Are there specific frameworks or even just paradigms that you have seen that require more general linter disabling just because like their paradigm, their general method of doing declarations and setting things up is more opinionated. It differs from what the default rule set 
recommends? Not really, actually. I'm sure that there are places that do this, but especially in the last couple of years, the default recommended rule sets for both ESLint and TypeScript ESLint have been very intentionally honed to things that are universally applicable, or at least we try, especially in the upcoming V6 of TypeScript ESLint. We take anything that people have been yelling at us about and just move it away from the recommended rules. So I think legacy apps, this is a problem. We had an issue recently, actually, about someone who had a very large jQuery code base that didn't play well with our floating promise detection rule, the rule that says you created a promise, but don't handle it. If it fails, something bad might happen. And if you're using a legacy code base from 10 years ago's practices and try to use a linter from today's recommended practices, there will be some mismatch. Yeah, I could see that being particularly <laughs> tough there. Okay, so circling back slightly, so you said that now the recommended rule sets will generally not have anything that does crop up with modern frameworks, common practices and stuff. Is there any fear then that the default rule set is overly permissive or say you're spinning up a new project? Like, is there other rules that you might want to go look at that may be wise to enable early on? to get like good coverage, make sure code stays healthy? Yeah. I think this is actually one of the bigger, not problems, but lack of perfections in the ESLint community, that there are a lot of community plugins that are great that people just don't enable. Mm -hmm. For starters, neither Next.js nor Remix, I'm going to call them out rudely, my apologies. They're great frameworks, love them very much, could not imagine life without them or similar things like Astro, but they don't enable TypeScript ESLint's recommended rules. So that's a big one, just right out of the box. We've been talking to them in public trying to get that enabled. But also, I have this project, uh, this template TypeScript node package, where I'm just trying to set up all the things I would want in a typical TypeScript node package. And in my ESLIN config, for the plugins list, the list of community plugins, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like nine or 10 of them enabled, which is nine plugins that I went out of my way to investigate and then gave me added value, like the regular expressions plugin that detects exponential regexes. That's work of the vast majority of people are not doing and thus not getting benefit from, which is a little painful to see. Yeah, I have a suspicion that most of the time when somebody ends up looking, going and looking, like seeking out a specific rule or looking for a, a plugin that'll help them get configuration set up for something, it's like they've noticed some particular little pain point that they're like, that looks ugly. I want to go fix that. I guess is that how you fell into most of these as well? Or are you more proactively seeking them out? Ooh, this is good practice. I should enable this plugin. Yeah, that's both what happened in my career and what happens with myself included, the vast majority of ESLint consumers. It's very reactive. I caused or I saw an issue. I looked up how to fix the issue, or even I had a hunch that this is the thing you could solve with, say, linting. Now I enabled the thing to react to that. I got into linting because I made this giant JavaScript code base, at least giant for me at the time, yeah. that had a bajillion bugs per line. And linting was one of the ways to fix that. If you do encounter one of these, what's the best method to search for a rule or like config that may help remedy it? Because I feel like that is tricky to search for sometimes, right? Like if you're just trying to use Google, it's like hard to use these terms and there's lots of weird symbols involved and stuff a lot of the time. How do you find those? Yeah, there's actually a great repo I want to shout out. Awesome ESLint. It's from someone named Dustin Specker. Shout out Dustin, who interestingly works in the exact opposite part of the stack as me, and yet we have this in common. It's just a giant list of awesome ESLint plugins. So you can look up like, oh, I have a bug in regular expressions. How do I prevent that? And you might get ESLints. But for setting up my template repo, I just looked through this giant list of plugins and decided on the ones that I thought were useful to me. Just opened a bunch of repos and new tabs and looked through each of them. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. I see you on the contributor list there. You've done some work on awesome ESLint. That's how you know that I've used a thing because I found a thing I want to contribute to in it. Yep. Cool. So I guess kind of one more point in this realm, your talk specifically is ESLint and React. Is there something React specific there that you wanted to cover or is it mainly just your presets that you'd recommend setting up for a React project? Yeah, it wasn't extremely specific to React, other than I showed a React app using these things and bugs you could find in a React app. I will say that if you're writing React, you should at the very least be using, ideally, the two React ESLint plugins, the core React one and the React Hooks one. Mm. If you're using a framework such as Next.js or Remix, you should be using their ESLint plugin. And for the vast majority of people writing React, you probably should be using a framework. In general, I think that there are some really good core rules in all of those plugins that are useful for everyone and also just really informative about how to use, say, React or the framework. So definitely recommend those. I think in general, it's just like, yeah, you got to take the few minutes getting the project set up. So yeah, especially on these, like if you expect the project to go somewhere beyond this little toy app, it's worth a few minutes, get the linter going. You'll have fewer bugs, less headaches down the road. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about TypeScript and kind of maybe could you frame historically like how the TypeScript ES lint relationship plugin came to be, what that looked like in the early days of TypeScript and what it looks like now? Sure. I will note, there were three common misconceptions that happened with me. The first two I mentioned are me working on ESLint or TypeScript. And the third is that I created this thing. I only joined projects after the created, you know, like a vulture. At first there was TSLint. TSLint was a linter equivalent to ESLint, but built specifically for TypeScript code. Instead of using the standard JavaScript's representation of things of code called an AST or abstract syntax tree, it used the TypeScript AST, abstract syntax tree representation of code, which meant it was nice and fast. It was tailored for TypeScript. We liked it. It let us have the benefits of ESLint and TypeScript world, but it meant every time a feature got added to one of those things, it would have to be re-implemented in the other ESLint versus TSLint. And because especially years ago, TypeScript was a much smaller community than ESLint. Most of the time it was that ESLint got a thing, like a core feature or a nice community plugin. And then at some point down the road, we might eventually get it in TSLint. So short-term TSLint was great. Long-term, not so great because it wasn't as well-featured or well-supported. And now people use the word TSLint to refer to TypeScript linting or the TypeScript compiler. And it's, it's a dead word. We should stop using it. It's like one of my pet peeves, like using they versus there correctly. And it's not relevant to the vast majority of people, but it hurts me. So later down the road, the replacement for TSLint is a tool set called TypeScript ESLint. There's a long history of why it's called that and not other names, but it is instead of a separate project, a set of tooling built on top of ESLint that allows ESLint to work effectively with TypeScript code. It's a parser that lets ESLint understand all this wacky new TypeScript syntax because it's not yet built into JavaScript yet with the question mark in quotes. And then it's also a set of rules tailored to TypeScript and APIs to help you build TypeScript specific rules. And that was created by James Henry and later on worked a lot on by Brad Zacker, a few other people. And now I also joined as a maintainer here. Nice. I do feel inherently when going into TypeScript projects, there seems to generally be just like higher code health. And I think generally in typed languages, just because they're more regimented, there's like more patterns established. Maybe there's a fewer ways to do things a little bit, just because like I feel having a type system and all that jazz puts one down paths that are a little more structured. Do you think that there is still just as much a need for linters in these typed languages? Or do you think like the role of the linter is slightly reduced? 
the role of the linter is slightly reduced, but it is much more effective at the remaining role and thus is even more useful, I would oh, say. Nice. Yeah, it's this awesome effect where the way that modern typed, like today's type systems that are built on top of untyped languages work tends to be a way of representing the way you were going to write code originally. Like in TypeScript specifically, the type system models JavaScript object types, let's say. It models how you should think of code. Things that are hard to do in TypeScript are generally just hard to understand, hard to think about in general. As you said, yes, I agree. It biases you towards architectural patterns that are clear and understandable. That's part one of the answer. I'll, I'll pause there. That's a good piece. But yeah, tell me then about how does that then empower the linter to be more powerful? There are some core ESLint rules that are no longer necessary in TypeScript projects. For example, the no undef rule checks to make sure that if you're referring to a variable by name, it's a variable that's known to exist, which is a really useful good rule in JavaScript projects. But in TypeScript projects, you already have TypeScript for that, and it does a better job in ESLint. So some of the core parts of ESLint are no longer necessary in TypeScript. But because you have the ability to refer to TypeScript syntax, and in the more powerful though slower rules, use the TypeScript type checker, you can write much more powerful rules. You can write rules that detect whether, let's say, you're using the proper for loop over an array versus an object. Or you can detect that a promise has been created or a thing that creates a promise has been used in a way that, let's say, does not properly handle rejections for the promise. So you can detect much more insightful things about the code and catch much more subtle, difficult to understand bugs than if you were just using JavaScript on its own. Yeah, exactly. And having the TypeScript, the compiler they are running, like it's doing all the deep type checking and all those things that are definitely not probably in the purview, arguably in the purview of a linter. If one is using TypeScript ESLint, are those rules that are all handled by the type system, are they like disabled by default? Like, is it easy to make sure that you only have one thing checking for these kinds of errors? Yeah, our built-in default recommended rule sets, I'll four to six of them at this point, they in some way all disable the core ESM rules that don't make sense anymore. And we actually expose a standalone configuration if you just want to disable those rules and then reconfigure stuff on your own elsewhere. Because we used to get a lot of complaints from people saying, this rule is unnecessary, why am I still seeing it? So one of my personal goals for the project this year is to make it as easy as possible to configure this thing, because it hasn't always been 100% easy for larger projects. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm struggling to come up with a good example here, but where it's like, there are rules where one might think that TypeScript would always be able to like be checking for this or the type system would always be able like to check for this and handling it. But the linter actually, there are cases where only the linter is detecting issues that you guys have run into. Yeah, this is a great question to ask because there's no agreement or standardization here. There are some parts of the TypeScript compiler options that enable things that arguably should be in the purview of a linter. Arguably, not necessarily correctly. But yeah, one example that we've seen recently is discussion around the exhaustive switch statements area of rules. If you have a switch statement, should you have a case for each possibility if it's a switch statement over a thing that is known to be a certain set of type? Let's say you have a value that's one or two or three, and you have a case for one and two, and you're missing one for three. Mm -hmm. Some people would argue this is fine and good, that you shouldn't need to have an exhaustive switch statement. Other people would say, no, the compiler or linter should verify that, hey, you're missing a case here. This is probably a bug. You might have added a new type or something, and now you're missing a case. And I strongly believe that is not in the purview of a compiler, because a compiler should not be establishing opinions like whether you should have exhaustive switch statements. Yeah. And by the way, I will note that's one of the more 
jargon heavy answers I've given in this interview, because as we get into the more compiler versus linter debates, it's going to be a little more jargon heavy. And that's part of why I think the discussion is slow, that it hasn't been talked about so much till recently, because we've previously taken our time to establish the more baseline opinions, like what's a formatter versus a linter. And now we get to work on the fun stuff, like exactly where should different responsibilities fall within them. I feel like your case statement example is pretty easy to conceptualize if you're not thinking too much about it. Having spent significantly less time considering this than I'm sure you have, your point there seems intuitive to me as well. It's it's valid code, like it's fine. Nothing is going to inherently break if this case statement doesn't handle, switch statement doesn't handle every potential case. But I could see that being in the linter's purview. Is there, yeah, like the case you talked about, like if I added a new option here, maybe I do care and always want to handle all of them. Like that seems like the obvious one. Is there more people on the other side of that, in the other camp, what is the typical argument that should be part of TypeScript, just that, that it's easier to set up and it's there out of the box? Is that the main argument? Yeah, that TypeScript should do these things that may or may not be direct indicators of code health being off. Like TypeScript right now does have an option to check for unused locals or unused local variables, and it has an option to check for unused parameters. I personally, if I king for a day, would not put that in TypeScript itself. But the advantage of putting it in TypeScript is that it's core built into TypeScript, which means it's easier to set up. It's, I think, faster than if you were to just standalone use an ESM rule. I might be wrong there. And it's much more visible. Like it's in the core TypeScript docs. People have to see that in their config. And when they're reading the docs, they see it rather than in some third party tool, not actually maintained by TypeScript that happens to be popular in the community, us. Yeah, it's hard to like draw that line. It feels less weird to have the TypeScript compiler being like, hey, you have an unused variable. There's probably no real functional reason that would ever be happening. So like, it seems like that should be handled. Is that ever a perspective or a hat that you guys wear? Is is there ever a case where we would want that? Because like the switch statement example, it's like, well, there are valid logical cases where we would want to do nothing here. It's harder for me to find those for like an unused variable declaration. So maybe that does belong in as part of the compiler. Or do you think we should never be crossing that line because they're just different kind of areas of concern? Yeah, there are edge cases here. Two that come to mind are... Projects that set up type checking to block builds annoy me, but are more common than I want. I don't think it should ever be the case that you need to satisfy the type checker in order to run something locally. You should be informed that, hey, you have type errors, but if I'm just hacking some stuff together, like on a node CLI or something, I don't want to have to exhaustively fix all my TypeScript type errors, of which there may be quite a few, knowing yeah, me. I agree. You know, it's annoying. Yeah, I'll like break my CICD, that's fine, but don't break my local development. Yeah, totally. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, by the way, something that I think we're, as an industry, moving more close to, that what should break CICD versus what should break local builds. And I'm very pleased that you and I are in agreement. But also, like, there are edge cases of unused locals or parameters. Like, if you have abstract classes, declaring an unused parameter on the base class function methods is then going to change whether the derived classes, the classes that extend your base class, how their functions are set up. First of all, I don't personally use abstract classes often because I have moved away from that programming style for the most part, but there are people who use it and there are cases where it's relevant and good. Mm-hmm. So now, even now we see something that seems to be very relevant and applicable actually is something you'd want to have control over in the winter. Where is most of this kind of discussion and debate happening? Like, which GitHub repo are these conversations happening in? 
all over the place. I don't think there's any one place. ESLint has a very good and popular Discord. So does TypeScript. We at TypeScript ESLint recently set up ours. It's mostly people asking for help, such as life. I am not a community builder and do not know how to build this stuff, nor do I have much time. I think Twitter is, is a good place as long as Musk doesn't destroy it, that buffoon. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's all over the place, though. And I think if you want to get involved understanding the context here, there's no one best way, overly one only way to do it. I'd say search through some of the bigger issues or discussions on the ESLint, TypeScript, TypeScript ESLint, GitHubs, GitHub discussions and or discords, and you can start to get a feel for it. Yeah, I would implore users, if you're struggling, get in the discords and search there. I feel like that's one of the big problems we have with these emerging communities is like there's a lot of work happening in discords and people asking questions, but none of it's indexed. You can't find anything when you search. And it's like such a pain to find solutions to problems sometimes. Like in the past few weeks, I've been trying a bunch of new tech. And like I'm bashing my head against something and I'm like, I'll go look in the like the most closely associated discord. And it's like, yep, there it is. Four people ask the same question, but you got to look in the discord. If anyone has a good solution to that. Let us know. It's some cool repo that's like dumping all of this Discord discussion into like indexed public search things. I think that there'd be some utility there. Yeah. Is there anything else you can implore listeners to to check out or how they get involved if they'd like? Yeah, I'd say use the preset configurations as starters and take on my strategy of enabling them, disabling rules that don't make sense for you, and then looking at all the preset plugins. Definitely be active on the TypeScript ESLint issues discussion discord. We're working on a V6 that's going to make the recommended rule sets even better. I'm personally working on some performance stuff that should make things faster. Working with the TypeScript team on that one. Very excited. Shout out Jake Bailey. Get involved and think deeply. I think a lot of people online have a habit of making these absolutist statements like lint or bad or TypeScript good without understanding the why behind it. And then you end up with these stupid discussions where people are just screaming at each other about how they're idiots. And that's not healthy. So learn stuff before you discuss it. And then come to me, or at least come to me if you want help learning. Yeah, what programmers being strongly opinionated about something they haven't thought all the way through? Never, that never happened. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. This has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. 